Welcome to the Introvertpreneur Podcast. Take a breath because you are in the right place and you can finally stop apologizing for being an introvert. I'm Tara and I've discovered how to thrive as an entrepreneur while being 100% true to myself. Now I want to help you do the same. In these episodes, you're going to find everything you need to build a successful service-based business so you can stop competing with extroverts and grow and market your business with ease. Are you ready? Welcome back to another episode of the Introvertpreneur Podcast. I am so excited about today's guest. Catherine Thompson is a Canadian-based entrepreneur who inspires people to use their stories to create change in the world. She's an award-winning marketing and communications expert with more than 15 years of experience. And after growing one of her businesses to close to a million dollars in sales in less than four years, she sold it with a single email. She is now the founder of Creatively Owned, which is a marketing and communications firm that helps entrepreneurs use the power of words to create instant appeal for what they are selling. I love copywriting. I love selling with words, especially for introverts. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, So I would love for you to start off maybe telling us a little bit more about your story and how you got started in business. So I come from a a long line of entrepreneurs. So my grandfathers, my dad, they're all entrepreneurs, but I did sort of like the traditional thing, went to university, spent 15 years working in corporate before ditching my career five years ago now uh, to open my first brick and mortar business, which I've now sold. So I think I've always felt this calling to be an entrepreneur or to do something like this, but it just took me a little longer. I needed to pursue that corporate career first to realize it wasn't for me. I love that you have an entrepreneur background. I was definitely the opposite. I was expected to go to college and get this corporate job and just work nine to five. And although my mom did have a little bit of an entrepreneur spirit, she did a lot of craft shows and things when I was younger. So she loved being in the maker space. But when it came to a job, I don't think it was ever looked at as like you could create your own job. And I know with the creative businesses, I kind of started dabbling in photography first. So that's part of the story. Like I kind of started doing wedding photography and travel photography and stuff like that. But again, I think as creative entrepreneurs, oftentimes we are told you're not going to make a living in the arts kind of thing. And that was probably the first thing that sparked me to start Creatively Owned was I wanted to help creative entrepreneurs get paid for what they love doing. And now I've transitioned to coaches still creatives. I do help makers and that sort of thing because I am passionate about helping people create a business and profit out of their passion. I love that so much. What is your favorite marketing platform or method for your own business? I've gravitated towards Instagram, to be honest, because I do business to business. A lot of times people are like, you should be on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn, but Instagram's a platform that I really love. And I think it is because of it started as like a photo platform. So that's the platform I gravitate towards. Yeah. I love the visual aspect of Instagram, especially for artists and creatives. It's the perfect way to get your content out there. But I feel like tying into that, you do need to have the words behind it as well. You need to have engaging captions and kind of create a story around what you do and how you can connect with people. 
you kind of mentioned this, but what kind of clients do you typically work with now in, in general with your services? So I do help online coaches, experts, consultants, but I do also have an array of clients that are service-based local brick and mortar. I think my story resonates with other brick and mortar owners. And so, yeah, I help an array of people, I guess. And then I've also helped like subscription box owners in the craft space that are doing craft boxes and whatnot. So I've got an eclectic group of clients. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I used to do that too. Like as a Pinterest manager, I loved having multiple clients because it keeps your job fresh and exciting too, when you're diving into so many different industries and businesses. I'd love to hear, what are your top tips for creating content without spending endless hours creating it or constantly being on social media? Because especially introverts, we struggle with social media sometimes. (laughs) Yes. I think the biggest recommendation I have for introverts or highly sensitive people, I know I have a lot of clients that are highly sensitive and so overstimulation on cell phones and social media and all that just is it totally fries their nervous system. So I think the big one, and this is kind of how I run my business and help other clients do it as well when they're creating content is like, I say, find a parent piece of content. So that could be a blog or it could be podcasting and then figure out ways in which you can repurpose the content from that particular parent piece of content. So I used to do a lot of blogging and then I would take that and stretch that content as far as I can. How many different topics can I pull from that? And then when you're batching and repurposing content, you're not having to reinvent the wheel all the time. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions a lot of entrepreneurs have is that they have to create all this new content and you really don't have to. So Now my podcast basically gets my social media. It's my social media posts. It goes on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, right? So how far can you stretch that content? And then can you automate that delivery? So are there ways in which you can schedule the posts so that you're not having to be on social, you're not having to create content sort of in the moment, so to speak, And it really takes away the pressure of having to create. I find that a lot of people get overwhelmed with because they feel like they have to create in the moment and you don't really have to. If you can, like I said, create that parent piece of content that really drives your content for the week or the month. And then that way you're not having to spend all that time on on social media. I love that you said that because yeah, content repurposing is such a huge thing and I love it. I recently did a workshop where I took one blog post and turned it into 30 pieces of content. And that wasn't even the entire blog post. That was just picking apart like a couple paragraphs. <laughs> and so I could have easily turned that into 60 pieces of content <laughs> across different channels. Totally. And I think the other big one is the, a lot of times we feel like we're repeating ourselves or saying things over and over and over. And so some people might look at a blog post and go, how did you get 30 pieces out of that blog post? Like, didn't it feel like you were just repeating yourself, but repetition is actually a good thing. And so you can repurpose from a past post and maybe change the image out. So taking that piece of content and even using it two months from now, because your audience is evolving and growing. And so new people are going to come into your space. And that's how you create that consistency and messaging is if you do have that repetition. And so it's always fun. I always challenge my clients to like, how far can you stretch your content? And let's make it a little challenge. Like, can you do 30 pieces out of a blog post? Or can you do 60 pieces out of a blog post and see how far you can really stretch it? I think that's one of the biggest things that I hear from people is that 
they feel like they're repeating themselves or that they're going to annoy their audience, but not everyone is on every channel following you and one in a million chance that they are, they're not going to see it on every channel. (laughs) Instagram, especially like they only show each post to like what 5% of your followers. So I've launched a program for two weeks and that's all I talked about. And then a week after I had people saying, Oh, I didn't, I never even heard about it. I'm like, I've been talking about it nonstop. (laughs) Totally. And I know even in the like a brick and mortar world, we had our brick and mortar. I mean, we were open four years before we sold it. And I would have people walking in in like year three going, I come to this parking lot every day. When did you open? You're new. No, we've been here three years, right? And so exactly that. It's like you feel like you're talking about it nonstop, but your people and your audience need to hear it more than one time or need to see it often for it to sort of register. Yeah. And even like when you're talking about the same thing, like talk about it in different ways, One of my favorite pieces of content to repurpose is writing a blog post that's like six ways to do something. And then each of those ways can be their own social media post. And then I could do a carousel showing all the six ways. There's so many ways to really make the most of your content. I really love blogging for that. It does produce a lot of different ways in which you can share your content in the different ways and getting creative with it, right? Like you can create a reel, so many ways that you can get creative with how to deliver it. So it looks different, but it's still the same piece of content. Yeah. I'm obsessed with repurposing. I'm so glad you said that and shared that because I feel like not enough people are doing it. And it's such a great way to really not only save time, but avoid burnout because if you're constantly creating content, like that's just, nobody has time for that. Like to create something new from scratch and show up on different platforms and send emails like that is just exhausting. And I think, again, the other thing about content is repurposing, batching it, like creating sort of a bit of a plan so that you're not exactly that burnt out or on that sort of like hamster wheel of like content creation. But the other thing is, is that content doesn't have to be super long either, right? So sometimes we think we need to put a ton of written content there, but I always say to like test the different ones and what works with your audience, short form, long form, and not even really maybe even having a full caption. Maybe it's just a question and then a video, right? So it's getting creative with it and how can you simplify it so it works for you? And then what does your audience respond to and learning what they respond to? That's such an important point too, about the length of content. It doesn't have to be a super long, you can vary it up and test it and see what works. I love doing the long form just as an introvert. I like to go deep. So sometimes I actually hit the limit on Instagram caption length and I have to tweak it and make it shorter and more to the point. But I do also love just sharing easily consumable content. Like it's not too in-depth and just seeing what gets more engagement and what is more interesting to my audience and what do they love. And I find that usually on the longer content, I get a lot more comments that are more deeper and like opening up in a conversation. And then with the ones that are more shorter, it's more the quantity of comments is higher, but they're all shorter and they're like answering the question or because it's easier for them to actually read it and respond. (laughs) Again, it really does go back to who you're trying to serve. And I'm a long form, long winded person. And I do love the depth and diving deep into things versus surface level. So I personally struggle with surface level content and delivering it. So again, it depends on who you are and then the type of person you want to attract and 
playing with that and having fun with it. I'd love to hear your tips around, especially introverts in particular. I hear it a lot and I see it a lot where they aren't actually mentioning what they're selling. They aren't actually talking about their products or their offers. It's all value content or educational content, and they're never tying it into actually selling. So I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. That would maybe help people that struggle with selling. So again, I think the value content, the educational content should really be in alignment always with what you're selling. Then it's an easy tie back into. So if you're selling a program or a service, the value that you're offering should be directly linked to the thing that you're selling, whether it's a product or a service or whatever. And so by that, I mean, you don't want to put out content that doesn't drive people to your sale. Otherwise you're just doing, I call busy work or content creation. That's just busy work, right? You're just creating content that doesn't really have a purpose, so to speak. So if you struggle with selling I think there's a couple things to look at is what's sort of the underlying reason behind why you don't want to talk about what you do, or you don't want to ask for the sale, so to speak. And you don't have to ask for the sale in every piece of content that you put out there. I think that's another misconception that a lot of entrepreneurs have is like, I feel like I'm being pushy because I'm constantly asking for a sale, but you can add value in content that drives people to your products or services without you even asking, having that call to action in there that's like, buy now, click here to sign up or whatever. Like as my own business, I personally don't ask for the sale unless I'm in a launch of some sort. Everything else that I create is in alignment with my bigger offer and I'm driving people and warming up my audience, so to speak. So I think it's creating a system within your business where you have to make sales or you're making sales. So if you're somebody who wants to sell on a month to month to month basis, then there has to be enough content in that month that's asking for a a specific sale. But if you're running your business on launches and you launch four times a year or six times a year, then those pieces of content, that's where you drive a lot of your sales. And then the other piece of content really is designed to warm your audience, create demand for what you do. And it doesn't have to be as directly saying, hey, buy from me now. It can just be driving that demand, creating that like sort of compelling piece of content that says to somebody, hey, I'm interested in what they're doing or what they have to say. Yeah. It makes it so much easier for introverts because I feel like a lot of them, when you say you haven't even mentioned your offers in like a month or like, I don't know what you do by looking at your content. And a lot of them are like, well, I don't want to pressure people or ask for the sale or feel like I'm salesy is the big keyword that a lot of people use. I find that I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to annoy my audience, but if they're really interested in your value and educational content, you're not necessarily thinking about it in a way like you're pushing a sale on them you're offering something that is going to help them. And at the end of the day, I mean, I say we've been conditioned with the whole salesy piece because we've seen people sell in an icky way that made us feel icky. And like you just said, the value piece that you're adding up front, if it's done in a compelling way that creates demand, even for them to like spark an interest to ask a question, really at the end of the day, ultimately you're helping them. Whatever you have to offer is going to help them. And if you believe in that and you're there to serve them in that way, then you aren't being 
pushy, right? Because your people are going to reach out and want to see what you have to offer. And one cool way to sprinkle your offer in or what you do in your value-based content is if you offer, say, a product or a course, online course, so to speak, if you have, say, like one module of that course is on one topic, you can talk about that topic in sort of the value-based or educational how-to and then just say, this is pillar number two in my course, or this is module number two in my course. And so you're always just sprinkling that A, that you have a course, that particular post isn't asking for the sale. It's just starting to spark some interest going, oh, that person has a course. That's pillar number two. I'm interested in learning more about that. So there's ways to do it that aren't, like I said, pushy or or forceful. Yeah. Like having that direct call to action. Bye now, (laughs) which is good. I know you mentioned launches and it made me think, my signature program, I signed up for a program all about launches. And I went back and looked at my previous launch and I was embarrassed to see that I actually, during, I think it was a two week launch period. I only emailed about it to my list twice. (laughs) I only posted on social media twice. I was like, no wonder (laughs) I need to take my own advice. And I needed to talk about it more. I was putting out a lot of value content but I wasn't tying it back in to the actual offer itself. (laughs) And that's a big one I see when I work with clients on their launches, specifically around the messaging and copy. And sometimes I just did a launch recently with a woman and over doubled her enrollment. And a lot of it was the upfront promotional or she had people signing up for a Facebook group. And so it was her previous launch. She didn't request people to come into her Facebook group. This launch, we emailed people saying, join the Facebook group. Well, that in and of itself is more eyeballs on your launch because you're hosting everything in your Facebook group, right? So it's even small tweaks where you're, it's not even a sale. It's just like you signed up for this free training. And now I'm asking you to join the Facebook group because that's where I'm hosting it. That isn't a sales message, so to speak, but it's like you have to have those eyeballs on your stuff in order for it to sell. And I mean, I was the same way when I first started in the online business was I didn't want to email or inundate people's inboxes because I also don't want to be like spammed with stuff. Right. And so I didn't want to spam my audience, but you have to find that fine balance of like how much is too much. And then how much is just enough for them to like know what I'm talking about and know what I have to offer. And it's always a fine balance. I feel like for introverts, we tend to go on the lower end, like not enough. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your messaging that sells program. So that is a eight week container. And essentially what that does is it really helps you lay the foundation for your messaging in general. And so if you're struggling with what to say, how to say it, when to say it, I always say you have a messaging problem, not a content creation problem, because your content is all driven by your message. And so it really, that program up front really lays the foundation. And then it gets into, like I say, sales messaging. So there's a difference between sort of your brand message, which is like who you are, what you do, why you do it, and what makes you different. And then your sales messaging is like where you have that conversation with your potential clients asking for the sale. And that can be around product launches, online course launches, promotions. It's very different sort of messaging than that core piece of messaging. So that program is an eight-week program that really does help you lay that foundation for your messaging. So you know what to say, how to say it, when to say it. 
but then also how to sell what you have to offer and how to create messaging around that that's in alignment with you because everybody's different in terms of how they want to sell or what feels good to them for selling, so to speak. And so it really does help create that sales messaging so that you can start attracting more people. It's so powerful. Yeah. Messaging is so key and so important. And I think that's a lot of times that's the missing piece that people are missing is that foundational messaging. And I'm one that if I'm going to sign up for something, I read that entire sales page. I want to know everything before I say yes. And I feel like if it doesn't really connect with me or it doesn't make me feel like, yes, this is what I need, then I'm not going to sign up for it. So yeah, messaging, so key. Like you can create the best offer in the world, but if you don't have the messaging piece down, you're not going to sell it. You nailed it right there is that it's like, it's, they go hand in hand. A lot of people that fail in launches or businesses fail, it's not because their offer sucks. <laughs> and that's the thing that we often make, in, you know, create in our mind was like, oh, maybe my offer sucks or maybe this, I didn't, whatever, like the strategy wasn't good. It really comes down to how you communicate it. And that really is, will make or break any of your promotions, launches, businesses. That's so true. And so powerful. I feel like that's the biggest part, like you said, about people with launches. If they have a failed launch, diving into why it failed, probably it's going to be messaging. (laughs) It's not going to be because there wasn't a need for it or people aren't interested. It's just you didn't have the messaging in place to get them interested and get them to take action on it and understand the value of it. I always say an ever evolving thing too, because if you're a new business owner, you probably know your audience maybe to some degree, but it's probably more surface level. And as you start to work with people, you get to know them better. You get to know your ideal clients better and on a more of a deeper, intimate level. And so you can start to speak to them even better. And so I always say too, like that messaging is evolving. And so it's giving yourself the space or grace to put something out there and it not work maybe that great and take it and retry it because it's going to, con- like my messaging today is still evolving, right? Because as I evolve and my clients evolve and the market evolves, your messaging is going to evolve with it. And so it's giving yourself that space or grace to maybe not nail it the first time or the second, but keep trying because it- it'll only get better. Yeah, that's so true. And I feel like as introverts, we don't want to be on video. So our words are really going to make an impact. So we need to make that even more of a focus, but like you can craft and put out a brand through your words, as long as that messaging piece is there and be so successful, you don't have to show up on video and put yourself out there continuously. That's why I love organic content marketing, like blogging is because I'm putting my words and my expertise out there without having to show up and go on video and be like, Hey, buy from me. (laughs) This is going to change your life. No, it's more natural with organic. And as long as the messaging is there, that's key. And I always say too, like if you're an introvert or highly sensitive person or completely extrovert is like finding the strategy that works for you. And when I say strategy, I mean like how the content is delivered, like video, blogging, podcasting, whatever that might be. Those are just like, I say the mediums in which the message is getting out and they all work. It's a matter of like finding one that works for you, your personality, who you are and not forcing it. Cause when you force it, your audience is going to feel that. And exactly that with introverts, like words are powerful and writing those words out 
and getting that message and dialing that message in, that's really going to create that connection. As you said, with the sales page, like I'm not buying something if I don't feel connected or moved by it. And so it's like, how can you write content and copy that speaks to your audience in a way that connects with them and blogging and written word is such a powerful way to do that. I tried video a lot (laughs) a few years ago because everyone was like, you have to do video. You can't be successful unless you're doing lives and I tried it and my audience did not connect with it because I was just terrified. It wasn't authentic to who I am. And I was trying to force myself to be somebody else. And it just did not hit any marks or connections at all. Yeah. Energetically, they can feel that. And I mean, there's a difference between, I always say like fear, being fearful of the camera for whatever reason, or personality-wise, energetically, it's just not in alignment and you have to decipher the difference. But yeah, your audience probably felt it and was like, what's she doing? (laughs) And I always say there's energy behind the words. So a big thing that I talk about in my program is all around, like the very first module, we ground in on your truth and who you are. Because if you're creating content for the sake of creating content or because someone told you that it's the only way you're going to be successful... You could have the best written piece of content, but energetically, if you're not in alignment, your audience is going to feel that it's going to come right through the words. So that's super important too. Definitely tapping into your strengths and using them to your benefit. Because I mean, I could be so confident in my words in a blog post or an email newsletter But if I was to say those same words on video, it would not come across confidently. (laughs) It would come across very awkward. So I know that that's not for me. And I think if you try things like video or the opposite way, like if you try blogging and it's just not for you, that's absolutely fine. That's why I love entrepreneurship and marketing. There's so many ways to get your message out there. And the strategies, like I said, the mediums, the vehicles that you're using to communicate are just vehicles. And so it really does boil down to, yeah, what you're offering and the message behind it and how you communicate it. That's so powerful. I love that. And and your program sounds incredible. I'm going to recommend it to everyone. (laughs) I feel like it's struggling with messaging because I feel like you can't put out content if you don't know the right message that you want to put out there. You're just going to be creating content and it's just going to be out there and not get you any kind of results. I see a lot of clients that come to me or come to me almost at a state of burnout where they're like, I'm doing all of the things that people are telling me to do. I'm putting out content, I'm showing up live and doing all the things, but they don't have their message dialed down. And so I just say it's busy work. You've just created the busy work in your business. I always equate it to like the person standing in a crowded room with a megaphone, just like screaming out into the crowd. It's not going to register if you're A, in the wrong crowd, but B, if you don't really have like a cohesive, compelling thing. If you're just screaming, people are going to be like, shut up. Don't, I don't want to listen to you anymore. Right. And so it just falls on deaf ears. And that's how you simplify your content creation. That's how you make it easy is dialing in on that messaging and really getting clear, but creating one that's unique to you. Cause that's what makes you stand out is your own unique message, not one that's emulating or sounds like other people's. I really help people tap into what makes you unique and let's own that. But I hear a lot from clients, either they're highly sensitive or they're introverted and they're like, I'm introverted. So can I even be successful in business? And it's like, heck yeah, you can. And yeah, you look at a lot of leaders that are like, I say quiet and humble. I'm attracted to those types of leaders. 
there's room for everybody out there. And I think that the gifts that introverts have are really, really unique and can really, really, like I said, excel in entrepreneurship and business. They don't have to be loud and standing on a soapbox. And you'll attract your people if you're being yourself. I know that some people who want to work with somebody who's like very high energy and a cheerleader and like, that's not me. And that's fine. They're they're not going to be perfect fit to work together. Cause I know if I was to work with somebody with such a high energetic level, I would probably get burnout from working with them one-on-one. So there's people out there for you and your personality and who you are. But as you were talking, I was thinking, what is your thoughts around somebody who wants clarity around their messaging, but they're multi-passionate? I love this question because I'm multi-passionate. Me too. That's why I was like, oh, I need to ask this. (laughs) And it's one thing, again, I think there's a lot of rhetoric and conversation in the market where it's like, focus on one thing and you got to get really specific or or you're not going to attract people. And I don't buy that because I've had a lot of success as a multi-passionate. So I know that you don't need to be like super niched or nailed down. And so I always say that sort of umbrella message, what is that big purpose that you're wanting to serve? For me, it's helping people share their stories in a really impactful way so that they can change the world for whatever corner of the world that they're in and whatever they're doing. And that's why when you ask like, who do you serve? I'm like, well, I serve service-based, I serve product-based. And I do that because I am multi-passionate and I do love the variety of being able to help a variety of different people. So you don't need to get super specific or super niche down. You just need to get really clear on what you do, what you stand for and what makes you different. And that can be at a broad level. I always say, if you're multi-passionate, whatever you do, do not force yourself into like a box because you'll end up just spinning, trying to land on something that you'll never be able to land on because you're multi-passionate. And I spent a long time, probably eight months spinning because I was told to niche down, get really specific and focused. And then I broke away from that. And I was like, I just can't do that. And it's worked for me. And so I encourage all multi-passionates to be specific enough that your message is clear on what you deliver and what you serve and what makes you different, but don't be too specific where you've like pigeonholed yourself into something that isn't going to work for you. I think a lot of multi-passionates feel that way and do that at one point where they feel like they have to, because of all the information that's out there about how you're not speaking to one person, you're not speaking to anyone Or if you're trying to speak to everyone, you're not speaking to anyone. Like it's very awful to a multi-passionate to feel like we have to do that, but you absolutely do not. And if you try to, like you said, it's not going to work. You're (laughs) going to constantly be pivoting and not feel happy and centered with what you're doing because you want to do more. And that's absolutely fine. Or feel like almost a paralyzing, like being frozen, right? It's like, which direction do I go? And I have to pick something because that's what they're saying. If you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. And yes, if your message is way too broad, then doesn't really serve a purpose or doesn't have a specific thing that you offer. But how you get specific is with what you offer and what makes it different. And then who you serve on that realm. Again, you could have umbrella. Like I have, I serve product-based businesses and I do something very different with them than I do with my online coaching consultants. I follow a different sort of approach with them because there's different ways that they promote. And that's really all you can, like I said, create that overarching brand and then just have arms or legs under the umbrella of your brand. I tried to, when you said that about separating, 
I tried to really separate things because I felt like I had to, to be successful. So at one point I had four Instagram accounts (laughs) that I was trying to like create content and be more niche down. And it just, it was exhausting. I'm like, this is not for me. I love talking about marketing, blogging. I love helping service providers and virtual assistants and introverts. So I'm just going to combine that and be clear with each umbrella. (laughs) Totally. And that's the thing is like, again, you'll get stretched way too thin if you try to create separate businesses for each idea. So it's like create that overarching brand, define why you created the brand, like what's the purpose, what sparks that joy for you in that brand. And then under each umbrella, and you can talk about multiple things. And I think, again, multi-passionates will resonate with you. And I started talking more openly about multi-passionates because I struggled so much with trying to niche down and be this one thing to this one specific group of people. And I was like, I just can't do it. And as soon as I started talking about uh, multi-passionates and sharing my own journey with it, then all of a sudden everyone starts coming out of the woodwork and they're like, thank you for talking about this because they're feeling the same thing too. So likely if you're feeling something and you want to operate a certain way, there's other people out there, your tribe's out there just waiting for you to to share that because then they're like, oh, so I can do it this way too. Great. There's so much content out there about niching down. And I think it's good advice for people that aren't multi-passionate. Like if you do have one area of expertise, awesome. Like you can get really specific on your messaging then, but fine to not niche down 100% into a little box if you don't want to. And I always think of the friends I had in high school and university who were like, they knew grade 10, what they wanted to be in their life. And this is what they wanted to, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer and I'm going after this. And when you ask me after four years of university, what do you want to do? I'm like, there's lots of things I could do and I could never really focus on one. And so it's so funny because it's, I think the same in business. I have all these things that I love to do and I just encourage all my clients to just really tap into who they are because forcing themselves to be something different again is going to impact your message, but also the energy behind what you're doing. That's so funny. Being an entrepreneur since 2007, I've had so many roles and I've gone to college for office administration, website design, graphic design. And then I was a Pinterest manager, business coach. I did website design and then I did sales funnel strategy. And I've taken like hundreds of courses because I just love different things. And I felt so bad for a long time. Like, why am I learning something new? I really need to niche down on this one thing, but that was never for me. And I'm glad I realized that because Otherwise, I would still be trying to force myself into a box and not really enjoy anything, or I would be continuously pivoting every six months to something else. <laughs> and like my path, I would say, is very similar in that I graduated with a marketing degree, worked for a bit in all different like varieties of finance to insurance to foundations I worked for. And then I went back and got a master's and I looked at graphic design school at one point. And I I say too, to encourage, again, I encourage my clients, but I encourage everyone, like follow the things that spark joy in you or like excite you. Cause those are, to me is a sign that you should be following that path. So like a lot of things we get conditioned or society tells us you shouldn't be doing this, or you should find one thing and get that job and have it for all of eternity. And I was just like, I knew it for myself early on. I was like, that's just not me, but you do feel bad. Cause it's like, am I flaky? I'm jumping around from job to job. Like, and they were always really good jobs. It's just, they ran their course and I got excited about something else and went after that. 
It's so funny. Yeah. Cause now I'm hosting virtual summits, which is something I never thought I would be doing launching this podcast, something I never thought I would be doing. I'd love to eventually write a book and publish it. And I'm so glad, like not sticking myself in a box. That's the beauty of multi-passionates. Like we're resilient. We have a lot of specialties. We usually love to learn different things and we're very creative people. And I think trying to suffocate that into a box, it's just not going to help you out in the long run. And it's super sad because I think as like entrepreneurs, creatives, multi-passionates, we are meant to do a bunch of different things. And that's what our contribution to the world and helping other people, right? Is that's what we're meant and here to do is to be creative, be multi-passionate. And so, yeah, suffocating that is sad, but I get, and I see why lots of multi-passionates feel like they can't be themselves because they're told that they should just pick one thing. I feel like too, with niching down, even in the service provider field, like virtual assistants in particular, I know that they're usually told if you don't specialize in one thing, then you're an expert in nothing. And I remember hearing that and thinking like, oh, but I love so many different things. So it it was really conflicting to hear people say that because I did do virtual assistance for a while too. And I was doing email copywriting. I was doing blogging. I was doing social media management. Like I loved everything. And I I feel like that's a really restrictive statement for multi-passionates to hear is that if you're um, offering everything, then you're considered an expert in nothing. So you're never going to be able to grow and scale and get high-end clients. But I think it's a really good thing to offer many things, especially like at the beginning, like to figure out what you love, especially if you're multi-passionate, like learning new things and figuring out what you really love to do. I think that's a good way to go about it. I 100% agree with you. And it's one thing that I, again, I always encourage people to do is try on the different hats, especially if you're a multi-passionate, especially when you're just starting out as a service-based provider. Because I know for myself, the idea and the concept of it might be like really intriguing. Oh, I think I'll really like that. And then you start doing it. You're like, oh, I don't know why I did that. That was my brick and mortar. It was like a total trial run because I was like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to open this brick and mortar business. I really like wine. So this seems like a good fit. And like eight months in, I was like, what did I do this for? This isn't in alignment with me. Right. And so it's like, it, it really is testing and trying on the different hats to see what you like and what you don't like especially in those early days as a online coach, expert, service provider. And that's kind of what I did even in creatively on this past year. Like I launched a couple times, the launches did really well, my group coaching, messy net sells. And then I started working really intimately with one-to-one clients just to get a more intimate interaction with them, see what they need help with the most, but also the variety. Like, so I was doing email writing, I was doing launch copywriting, I was doing sales page writing, all of that sort of stuff. And now after a year, I'm getting ready to relaunch messaging that sells. But I also know from a one-to-one standpoint where I want to kind of focus for now on my services that I offer. And I'm going to scale back what I offer right now down to a couple different things. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't tried out all the things first. I think that's so key, especially for multi-passionates to figure out what you really love to do. Because I know my virtual assistant, she had an interest in podcast management when I was launching this podcast. So I was like, well, why don't I enroll you in a course and see how you like it? We can test it out. And she ended up transitioning completely just to podcast management after that experience. So I feel like trying new things, even getting those new skills 
even now, like even if I didn't offer website design, for example, or create website templates, it's still a skill that I would use in my own business. So I'm never going to feel like it wasn't valuable to go to school for that or learn it. And like graphic design, that helps me every day in my own business. So you're never not going to use anything that you do if you decide to pivot later on. I always say too, like you knowing what needs to go into web design or creating templates or knowing your messaging and understanding copywriting and all of that. If you hire somebody, then at least you have the knowledge for it. And that's like, this is what I need you to do. And you have some parameters even around that. I did want to say something about the niching as well, because I think that even in the early stages of business, I always encourage people to like not to niche down as much, because I think in the early stages of service-based businesses, if you start to work with a variety of different clients, you'll start to see which clients are your, I call ideal clients. And so I always struggled when I would hear somebody say, picture your dream client. And I'm like, well, I just started my service-based business. Like, I don't know what my dream client is. Right. And that keeps, I I feel multi-passionate stuck because it's like, I got to pick one dream client. I'm not even really certain what that is. So working with a variety of different people, you start to get a sense of, I really love this industry. I'm not really a fan of this one, or I don't really want to, for me specifically is writing, right? I got to feel connected to what I'm writing. So it's like, I got to stand behind what I'm writing. So I started to realize what industries or types of businesses that I like working with when you first start out is like, work with a bunch of different people and see what resonates with you. That's a good point about like, if you do decide to niche down and you figure out who you really want to work with, then you can create messaging to attract those people. And then also turn away people that aren't of your ideal industry. I had somebody apply to a virtual assistant role for my team. And I was really excited about them and everything they said, like, and then I went to their website and their Instagram and it was all positioned about working with wedding photographers. And then I was like, well, are you really a good fit? Because I'm not a wedding photographer. (laughs) So I didn't move forward. So that would be like, if she didn't like she applied. So obviously she was interested, but her messaging was so narrowed down that it made me feel like, okay, we're not a good fit. I feel like that's a balancing act too. Like, do you really want to turn people away who aren't this one industry or one specific person? If so, then that's fine to be that narrowed down in your messaging, but otherwise you might be turning away people that you actually would want to work with or would be open to working with. Totally. And that's, yeah, getting super specific. And that's why they promote getting super specific, right? Is because it will repel the people you don't want to work with and attract the people that you do. But I think there's ways you can be a little bit more broad so that you can be multi-passionate and fulfill that sort of multi-passionate desire within you. Yeah, this has been so insightful. I love talking to you about this. I love messaging and because I feel like it's something that I definitely struggled with for the longest time. And I know a lot of people that I've spoken to and have worked with, especially the introverts, definitely struggle with this too. So this has been so helpful. So I would love for you to share, where can people find you online if they want to connect? Where's the best place to reach you? So Instagram is a place I love hanging out. It's at creatively owned. And then my website is www.creativelyowned.com. I'm also on Facebook at Creatively Owned, but I spend most of my time over on Instagram. Awesome. We will have all those links in the show notes for everyone to check out and connect with you. Thank you so much. This has been such an exciting episode. I know people are going to get so much value. There were so many good tips and gems dropped. 
And if anyone wants to check out your program, Messaging That Sells, we'll have that link below too. So you can connect about that. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you. I love talking about all things messaging and copy and connecting with other multi-passionate people. Thank you so much for joining me today. This episode may have ended, but there are ways we can stay in touch until next time. You can join me at introvertpreneur.com and at theterrorread.com, where you can find tons of blog posts and resources that will also help you grow your business. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at introvertcoach, where I share more introvert-friendly and service-based business tips with you. If you love what you're hearing, drop a five-star rating and review telling me what you are loving about the podcast so that I can continue to encourage as many introverted entrepreneurs as possible. Until next time, keep using your introvert superpowers.